0: This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Hillary Clinton (laughs) is the smartest woman in the world. She is, was a successful senator, has also served as the Secretary of State for a number of years, has lots of foreign policy experience, lived in the White House for eight years, deserves scrutiny and a full study of wondering whether or not she ought to be president. Donald Trump is the master of executive decision-making, knows how to negotiate, we've been told, over and over again, knows he has indeed amassed a vast fortune in real estate, owns some of the choice, if not the best, pieces of real estate in the entire world. Politics is all about praising people. I can see the look on your face when I (laughs) start. A homiletic device is starting with the shocking statement. (laughs) But politics is about praising people, talking about their attributes and the things they've done and the accomplishments they've had. Really, to praise at the bottom of the word, at the really root of the word, you might say, is shining light on something. Illuminating things. Focusing attention on a particular object that you ought to be brought to the forefront of people's imaginations and their minds. We like to praise things, don't we? I've listened to a lot of you guys in the past. You like to praise different quarterbacks. Your favorite sports teams. I hear Brother Helwig down here thinking about St. Louis Cardinal. I can read his mind. Lord. <laughs> A lot of younger preachers, they really get enamored with some successful preachers. And they talk about their sermons and they talk about all about the books they've written, all those kind of things. A lot of us like to praise, illuminate our children, grandchildren. You know, what? some of those things are good. Some are praiseworthy. But a problem we all have is that we spend most of our time praising things that aren't the ultimate object of praise. Even though many of these things are praiseworthy, we don't praise and illuminate the one that's worthy of praise all praise. The Psalmist here in 150 does us a favor. He helps us to focus on the real object of praise. And hopefully here for about 20 minutes or so we're going to redirect our thoughts from all these other things no matter how praiseworthy that might be. Back To the one and only that is truly praiseworthy. Psalmist does that by sounding five notes of praise. Look with me first of all. Things that help us to concentrate and focus and really praise God. First thing is that he tells us where we can praise God. Look there in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. No doubt this is written about the time, it seems, I say no doubt, it's questionable, but probably near the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. There the localized presence of God had been, just as it had been there in the tabernacle in the wilderness. God's localized, special presence that signified Him living with and coming down and fellowshipping, you might say, with his people. But we don't live in the old covenant, do we? What are we looking for? We're looking for what the old covenant temple and tabernacle were merely a shadow of. They were a copy of the real tabernacle, the real temple of God, the real altar, the real throne of God. That exists, literally exists in heaven. And one day, we, if we know Christ, if He's done His work in our hearts, we'll go beyond the Old Testament people of God, worshiping in a single building made with hands, to worshiping in a temple not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's where we'll get to worship Him one day. But between then and now, Where do we worship Him? Where is the sanctuary of God now? After the physical presence of God left the temple in Ezekiel in chapter 10, you see a more permanent, you see a second revelation, you might say, the presence of the holiness of God when it came to dwell in people's lives at Pentecost. Where do we worship God now? We worship Him in our heart. That is the sanctuary of God. In us resides the glory of God. Paul says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to make sure that day by day we worship Christ in our own hearts. We worship Him privately, on our own, every day. But Paul expands that thought a little bit in Corinthians. Not only do we praise Him privately, but Paul says all of these individual temples of God come together as living stones. When we come together as the church of God, we come together, the Bible says, when two or more gather together, Christ is with us. It says we are the temple together, we are the temple where God gets his glory. Paul wrote in another place, God would get glory in his church. Congregational worship. You can't really appreciate private worship until you go and worship publicly, I think. There are things that we cannot do privately in worship that we can do when we get together as the people of God. Really, in your home, when you're worshiping privately, you really can't preach to yourself. You can't sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with one another. You can sing, but you can't sing with others. You can't practice baptism by yourself. You can't practice the Lord's Supper by yourself. Those are church ordinances. Those things belong in the corporate worship of the church. We need to thank God every day. that Not only can we worship Him privately, but we can worship Him publicly and corporately. But along the way, in between those two things, there is another place where we all need to worship God. And I think sometimes it is the least emphasized and we are the least informed about this other sanctuary. The older doctrinal statements say that we need to worship God every day, daily in secret and in families, and then on the Lord's Day with the Lord's people. <clears throat> many of us, I fear, when I talk to many students and just Christians in general, Many people, many Christian families have abandoned family worship. Things you can do. How do you worship God in your family? Everything you do with the church other than the Lord's Supper and baptism you can do in your home. How do I know that's a sanctuary? Paul said in Ephesians 5 speaking of marriage says I tell you a great mystery that this submission of the wife to the husband and the husband caring for the wife loving the wife and protecting her so this is a great mystery which portraying Christ and his church he is the head he's the bridegroom and we are the bride and we're to reflect that In our homes. And if we don't, we're leaving out a vital part of worship. We're losing a vital opportunity to witness to our, and mentor and disciple our wives and children. In days gone by, if you didn't do that in the Puritan era, even up in the early 1800s, you didn't do that, men. And you claim to be a Christian pastor, the elders would come see you. Why aren't you doing this? Then they'd instruct you and they'd lead your family for you for a time or two. And then if you didn't follow up, if you didn't keep it up, and they came back again, they saw that you weren't doing it, you'd be subject to church discipline. It is an important thing. They realize the importance. and We don't realize, I don't think, the importance now. Those are how we worship Christ today in his sanctuary. The sanctuary of our homes and marriages, the sanctuaries of our own private affairs, the sanctuary when God's people gather together to give him glory. That's where we can worship God today. The second note the psalmist raises here, he gives us reasons or motivations to praise God. Look with me verse 2. It says, praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him according to his excellent greatness. You could say that we have motivation to praise him because of the works that he's done. What are the works of God? The primary works of God are his works of creation. And then in providence. And then his work in redemption. God's work of creation, creating everything out of nothing, bringing order out of chaos. But here's where I love to look at things, even in the Old Testament and Psalms, and see Christ. Jesus said, you search the scriptures daily in them because you think that in them you find salvation. And they are they that testify of me. The Psalms testify of Christ. They testify here of his mighty deeds in creation. Who was the agent of God in creation? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And by him all things were created, and without him not was anything created that was made. Christ is the creator we need to worship him and focus on christ because ultimately he's the reason why we're here he is the reason that all these things exist around us today you want to have an opportunity to really look at god's creation you need to get up in an airliner with a window seat at about forty thousand feet and look out about two months ago i was flying on the outside going south along the Mexican coast, went over the bay, over to South America, and my side was facing towards the Pacific Ocean. And there was a huge cloud deck at about 30,000 feet. And you could look into infinity, far enough that you could see the curvature of the earth. And as you look, it looked like nothing but just pure snow. And then you could see a level of dark blue, than a level of a little bit lighter blue, than another level of almost clear air. You have to stop and realize that as creative as mankind may be, he never created anything like that. But not only is he the creator. The Bible tells us also that he is in charge of all his works of prophet. That's his most holy and wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Jesus, the Bible says, preserves and holds all this creation together by his power. If Jesus took his controlling power off you and me and off this globe we live on today, we'd all go flying off into space. Our bodies would just disintegrate. He's the one that even holds your body together. Two times again, going into the southern hemisphere during the summer, you get to see that power of God holding things together. Both times, this were a globe both times in the northern hemisphere. Here's my wife up here. Below the equator. Here I was down here. And somehow, we could still talk to one another on a cell phone. Because, not because man created a cell phone, because God created the hemisphere, the atmosphere, where all these radio waves bounce back and forth. It's an amazing thing to look. I understand the power of God a little bit in that I understand a little bit about gravity. That's why I could stand there and not fall off the bottom of the earth. (laughs) Why I still don't understand is why we can stand here right now, but we can go to the other side of the globe with our feet on the bottom of the globe, and we still feel like we're standing upright. How can that be? It's only because God, Jesus, holds it all together his mighty deeds creation and providence but also his work in redemption that's the work we ought to love the most jesus christ god himself coming from that eternal place of worship the eternal sanctuary in heaven and walking among us Not just coming as God, but coming as man. Lowering himself to take on this kind of flesh. And not just taking on flesh, but taking on flesh in a dark, you might say, and distant land to us. Harsh climate. Living under extreme conditions. Living and allowing himself to be born into poverty. Undergoing all the trials and tribulations and miseries of life that we go through. And doing it all without sin. Allowing himself to be placed under being made subject to his own law. And then completely obey that law in every avenue you can possibly imagine. And then being tortured and rejected and killed like a common criminal. And then being buried in the earth that he created. But then rising again on the third day. And ascending back into heaven. Being recognition that the father had accepted his sacrifice, his work. For you and for me in redemption. And there he reigns eternally forever and ever. Making intercession. His work didn't just stop when he ascended back to heaven. He lives forever to make intercession for his saints. He's praying, I hope, praying for us this very hour. Praying to enable us, the Father and the Holy Spirit would help us. Give him just a little bit of the recognition that he deserves for his work. Psalmist said, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Then he goes on to say, and Give us another reason for praising him. Look at what it says at the end of verse 2 for his excellent greatness, not just for what he did, but who he is, his character, his attributes. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his wisdom, being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, all those are the attributes of God. Just think about three of them for just a minute. His wisdom. I took a little piece of paper a while ago for church, for church, chapel started, and I thought about our faculty members. You took our faculty members all together. We have over two hundred years of formal academic training. All at your disposal. But you can have all the academic training in the world. You can have the highest IQ in the world, but not have any wisdom. Wisdom being able to take that knowledge and do something useful and constructive with it. Make it work out like it's supposed to. And God unlike us, has more than 200 years of education. Not only does he know everything, he has the wherewithal to always make it all work and exercise all that intellectual capacity in the right way. He's wisdom personified. But power. Now, again, I think I've got about 12, no, 20 years of formal academic training. Something like that. And sometimes I have enough life experience in some areas of life to exercise a little bit of wisdom at times. You know, even when I have the resources and I know what to do, I don't have the power to bring it about. Oftentimes, I don't have the resources. But God has not only the wisdom, He has the resources. He has the power to make it all, all of His wisdom come about. Holiness, another one of God's attributes. You could have somebody that has a lot of academic training and has a lot of life experience and wisdom. And they have a lot of resources. But it's all oftentimes used without holiness, without purity. You can have all those things and exercise them with bad motives. But God, Jesus, has nothing but pure motives for you. And for me. And all those things, his attributes are infinite, eternal, and immutable. All that wisdom, all that power, all that holiness is infinite. You can't measure it, you can't get to the bottom of it. It's eternal, it's always existed, and it's always going to exist. It's immutable. It's all never going to change. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. See, that's something worthy. That's an entity worthy of praise. Not sports figures, not politicians, not our grandchildren, but God alone. Those are the reasons. There's a third note there. How do we praise God? List a lot of musical instruments and different things there. And when teaching the worship, theology of worship class, about third lesson into it, people love to bring up Psalm 152. They say, Brother Holmes, we need to be dancing in chapel. It says dancing right there. As if I've never seen that before. Nobody's ever told me in class. (laughs) (laughs) I try to look surprised when they tell me that. I know it's coming. I often do this. I said, well, you need to look at Psalm 149 also. Notice there it says, to praise him with dancing. Then you need to skip on down to verse 5. That they're singing for joy on their beds. Well, you need to dance on your bed, I guess. You Come to church, come to chapel, you need to bring a cot with you or a sleeping bag. So you can get on it and dance and all those sort of things. Then, it doesn't stop, it gets even better. Verse 6. Sing the high praise of God in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. So you've got to bring a cot, sleeping bag, and bring a sword with you. Good Nah. Old covenant worship. God directed his people how to worship him in the Old Covenant very, very distinctly. You and I don't live under the Old Covenant anymore. Jesus at the Lord's Supper inaugurated the New Covenant. And he is the Lord of the New Covenant. He is the head of the church. He is the only lawgiver for his church. And I'll assure you this, he didn't leave us without instructions on how to worship him. We have His instructions. We have His examples in the New Testament and the writings of the apostles. All worship today is Word-centered. Amen. We find the examples and in the instructions in the New Testament of how we are to worship Him here, worship Him in our homes and in our churches. We read the Word. We preach the Word. We sing the Word. And we pray the Word. And then... We see the word in the ordinance of baptism and in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Those are the elements of New Testament worship under the New Covenant. We need to be happy with those things and not be trying to expand on them all the time. Jesus said do things decently and in order. In other words, appropriately and without chaos in your service. The fourth note. Who can worship God? Maybe who should worship God? Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Well, that's sort of a non-event in our day and time, isn't it? People praising everybody and everything most of the time. But the one that's worthy of praise you can watch the news all night long from CNN to Fox and I don't think you're going to have very much praising of God and especially the Lord Jesus Christ in that period of time so you might say that's sort of a non-event an unfulfilled expectation in our day but the day is coming when you focus on Christ, the day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we can look forward to that day. But until that day, what are we going to do? What can I do about this day that I live in, this place that I live in, that doesn't worship God all the time? I can focus on myself. I can't make anybody else worship God. But I can develop and discipline myself to worship God privately, whether anybody else does on the face of the earth today. You can discipline yourself and get yourself to somewhere where God's people are meeting and worship Him this coming Lord's Day. No matter what anybody else does. You can worship him. Tonight. In your home. Your wife. And children. That's what I can do about it. That's what you can do about it. This unrealized expectation. Of every creature. Praising God. Hopefully on Thursdays. in this semester. We're going to try, the faculty is going to try to mimic or model family worship for you on Thursdays. In a smaller group, hopefully to equip you, you know how to do your private devotions, you know how to go to church. But we want to try to fill in that missing facet of the jewel in worship, worshiping in our homes. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you. By your grace, you enable us to know you. And by your grace, you enable us to give just a little bit of your glory back to you. And it's just a little bit of what you're truly worthy of. Father, well, we pray today that you'd help us to realize, as we leave, that we are your sanctuary. And that you, when we come together, you inhabit the praises of your people. Father, well, help us to do that in our homes, and our marriages. And then, even better, we come to worship you with your temple made up of the living stone. Of the people of God. We ask these things. In the name of Christ. Who dwells. In the eternal sanctuary. Aiding our praises. And our prayers. Even now. It's in his name. That we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing the last verse.